So if you would take your Bibles, please, and open them to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. And if you'd like, we will, at the end of the sermon, look at Ephesians chapter 3. But we can all turn to it then. We've been looking at the familiar vocabulary in Scripture. And we've examined the word bless and last week blessed. Today we will look at perhaps the most familiar form of this word, and that is blessing. As I've said several times, uh, one of the dangers in becoming familiar with Scripture is that we assume that we know what a word means and never think about it, give it a second thought. And in fact, we might be quite incorrect in how we think of it. I think it might help us if we would think and consider how Christians from different eras or different cultures have understood a particular word. So today we're going to look at the word blessing. And I think for many American Christians, they view blessing as something primarily, if not exclusively, in material terms. Which would explain, in part, why the Beatitudes are so confusing and troubling. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. These are so troubling as to cause us to wonder... um, Do I want to be blessed if that, in fact, is what blessing means? If we consider the second part of each beatitude, the answer is obvious. Yes, I want to be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. But to be comforted requires, I think you would agree, that we mourn. As I've said, we've looked at bless and blessed. Today we will look at blessing. And the most familiar use of this word is of God blessing. As we've seen, it begins on the fifth day of creation when God blesses what he has created. What we find in scripture is God blessing is the bestowing of a particular good. There are two things I want you to remember from what we've looked at in in preparation for moving on ahead. The first is that while bestowing of good is how bless, blessed or blessing is used generally in scripture, the context determines the character of what is given. That is to say, we might say, God bless this person. Well, how did he do that? Well, the context, in fact, would determine that. But this raises a critical question. Who determines the context? I suspect that we are all happy enough to determine that context by our wants and our needs. And therefore, we think of blessing generally in terms of material terms or material things. So when we pray, Lord, bless us, which, if I might digress, is not an inappropriate prayer. I mean, who else are we going to look to? Who else do we want to bless us? Uh, Who else will bestow good on us but God? This leads to another issue, and that is, this is why a lot of people turn away from the Christian faith. They turn away from God because they did not get what they wanted. They asked God to bless them, and in their minds at least, God did not do what they wanted. Let's go back to the matter of context. We might say, Lord, bless us, but then be thinking primarily in terms of finances or health or progress, you know, wherever we are. In fact, the Lord might indeed bless us in ways that we do not discern because we are thinking in entirely different terms. We are not thinking in terms of, oh, I need to acknowledge my poverty before God. 
I need to mourn over my sinfulness. I need humility in recognizing my place. I may, in fact, need to suffer for the sake of the gospel to see if, in fact, it is important to me or not. We may not like it, but acknowledging our poverty before God because he has opened our eyes to see it is a good that God bestows on us. It is a blessing. And mourning over our sinfulness because God has opened our eyes and our hearts to see it is also a good that is bestowed. But frankly, I'm not sure that this is a good that most of us want bestowed. It's it's sort of like getting a Christmas present that's useful rather than fun. Um, We'd rather have something that's fun, uh, not something practical. The second thing that I want to remind you of that we've seen is that the benefits that God conveys are in fact secondary. Even in the matter of acknowledging our poverty before God or mourning over sinfulness or humility or suffering for the gospel, all of these are secondary. The primary factor is that there is a relationship between God and his people. And the blessing, in a sense, reinforces or makes known the fact, the reality, yes, God does have a relationship with this person. To remind you, I find it worth noting that the word bless in its various forms occur more in the Old Testament than the New Testament, and the two books in which we find it the most are Genesis and Psalms. And in fact, we find it more in Genesis than we do in the book of Psalms. As I've told you, I find that really quite remarkable. But I would remind you that it is in Genesis that we learn of God's relationships that are established with various parties, with his creation, with human beings, humanity, those who are made in his image and who represent him in this creation. And then we find him making covenants with Noah and his sons, with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And we need to understand that God blesses with a benefit or benefits on the basis of that relationship. This again raises a whole host of questions. What if God doesn't bless me? Can't God just ignore me? What if God curses me? Doesn't the Bible speak of that? Why does God have to curse people? Why can't he just leave them alone? I would argue that God cannot ignore people. And in fact, he does not. We would prefer, and I think in our thinking in in the modern age, is that there is a third option, or that there should be a third option. That God can bless us, or God can curse us, or why doesn't he just leave us alone? Just not mess with us, don't do anything, just, just let us go our own way. I think that this fails to take into account that a relationship exists. And a healthy relationship, at least, does not have this neutral zone, this demilitarized zone. It is either something that is positive or something that is negative. And as I was going through this, my sort of academic light switched on and I thought, oh goodness, people might accuse me of binary thinking. And for those of you familiar with academic speak, um, those of you who are not, uh, let me just, this is from uh, Urban, the Urban Dictionary. In critical theory, a binary opposition is a pair of related terms or concepts that are opposite in meaning. Binary opposition is the system by which, in language and thought, two theoretical opposites are strictly defined and are set off against one another. 
So it's either or, right, wrong, black, white, ignoring any subtleties or consideration of a third or more alternatives. What I found interesting was the last statement in this definition. People who habitually think in this way are usually fairly unintelligent and unimaginative. So if we think in terms of God blessing or God cursing and there's no third alternative, then then we are told at least that we are fairly unintelligent and unimaginative. But wait, what about life and death? Remember in the creation series, we saw that there's no third option. We must affirm that in fact God is life and God isn't simply the living one as we saw, um, as if we had, you know, there's God who's the living one and then somehow we had access to life apart from him. Um, There aren't various kinds of life I think we've sort of gone down that path because people speak of having different lifestyles. Um, No, apart from God, any choice that we make is merely the way we choose to die. We are either joined to God in life, or if we choose another path, there is no neutral path. It's life or death. We see this time and time again in Scripture. Uh, Moses said to the Israelites before he died, See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. See, God is life, all else is death. When we speak of life, we saw in the series that it is in fact self-giving and self-receiving. The world that we live in is no longer governed by this or ruled by this. It isn't giving and receiving, it's taking and keeping. The word for taking and keeping in scripture is death. Because it is not life, it is death. We first find this in Genesis 3, where Eve saw the fruit of the tree, that it was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. And the key in understanding this is that she took. God, in fact, had freely given to them and they were to receive. But rather than living in that dynamic of giving and receiving, Eve chose another path. And that is taking and keeping. And therefore, she chose the path of death. She turned from life. She turned to death. She did not turn to some neutral, you know, not really against God, just sort of want to go my own way, this neutral zone, this demilitarized zone. No, it is either life or it is death. In the same way, there is no third option between blessing and cursing. Since we have considered the matters of bless and blessed, um, which gives us understanding in the matter of blessing, perhaps we should consider curses or cursing. Let me just give you some things to consider today. First of all, I'm sure you've thought about this, but let me articulate it. In the same way that people can pronounce blessings on others, they may also pronounce curses on others. But no blessing or curse can become a functional reality without the assent of God. Let me give you two examples. It is a custom among some in the Philippines, not as practiced as often as it used to be, that a a child, when coming to an adult or someone who is older or a person of some station, that the child takes the hand 
of the adult and puts it against the forehead. The adult in response says, bless you or God bless you. Now, the reality is the person saying bless you does not have the power per se to bless. It is God who blesses, but the person pronounces a blessing. In the same way, let's go to the opposite side and speak of profanity in which people call on God, oftentimes without a thought of God at all, but asking God to damn or to condemn someone. The reality is this only happens if God assents to it. By my saying you are blessed, uh, that has no power in and of itself. Or by me cursing you or damning you or even asking God to do that has no power in and of itself. It is God who does these things. It's only God who can make these statements operative. Having said that, I think we need to be very careful in what we say, whether in blessing or in cursing. Second thing to consider is that in the scriptures, we often hear of curses or cursing in the context of blessing. So the first promise made to Abram before he became Abraham in Genesis 12, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And there it is. God has promised a blessing, but there, when he mentions curses, it's within the context of blessing. And in the story of Jacob, when his mother Rachel is, uh, I'm not Rachel, Rebecca is putting him up to deceiving his father. He says, what if my father touches me? I would appear to him, I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. Jacob wants a blessing, but he recognizes the fact that because of his deception, instead of getting a blessing, his father, in fact, could curse him. We also have the story of Balaam in the Old Testament in Numbers uh, chapters 22 to 24. I don't know if you're familiar with these stories. If you're not, you should read them. We read that Balak, who was the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, uh, was concerned because here is coming Israel out of the Sinai Peninsula and they're on their way. They're going to go into what we know as the Promised Land, but they have to go by Moab and Moab is quite upset. And so they find out about Balaam and they send, he sends ambassadors to this guy who is, lives near the Euphrates River. And he says, I want you to come over here and curse these people. God tells Balaam, don't go. And if you know the story, God even speaks through his donkey telling him not to go. Balaam goes anyway, and then God says, okay, when you speak tomorrow, I will tell you what to say. They build altars, he's overlooking Israel, and he's ready to curse them, and in fact, what happens is he blesses them. So, the idea of cursing um, happens within the, or the idea of cursing, in fact, happens within the, the context of blessing. By the way, Balak is not happy. What have you done to me? I brought you to curse my enemies, but you have done nothing but bless them. Neither curse them at all, nor bless them at all. It's like, come on. If you're not going to say bad things, don't say, good th- don't say anything at all. It seems very clear that, at least in Balak's thinking, there are two options. 
blessing and cursing. In Genesis chapters, chapters 3 and 4, we find God cursing the serpent, cursing the ground, and then in chapter 4, cursing Cain. All three of these were blessed by God in creation, and now we find God turning against them and cursing them. In the Old Testament, we find blessing and cursing put before the people in which they are given the choice. They can either obey God and be blessed, or disobey God and it will bring cursing on them. In Leviticus chapter 26, uh, we find the call to holy living and we find that obedience has consequences and disobedience has consequences as well. And then in Deuteronomy 27, and I had considered this as a text, but didn't, if you want to look at it sometime, you can. Uh, it says, On that same day, Moses commanded the people, When you have crossed the Jordan, these tribes shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these tribes shall stand on Mount Ebal to pronounce curses, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And then what is to be done is spelled out. Then the Levites shall recite to all the people in a loud voice. Cursed is the man who carves an image or casts an idol, a thing detestable to the Lord, the work of the craftsman's hands, and sets it up in secret. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Amen means so be it. It's a declaration of affirmation. In English, in some English translations, truly or verily. The children of Israel are to affirm the rightness and the truth of the statement. It goes on. Cursed is the man who dishonors his father or his mother. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the man who moves his neighbor's boundary stone. Then all the people shall say, Amen. This one I find quite remarkable. They're on this side of the Jordan, on the eastern side of the Jordan. They haven't even gotten over to the western side, but already it's very clear in an act of faith, in a statement of faith, they're saying, if you, once you're given property, if you move the boundary stone, then you have disobeyed God and you're to be cursed. And the people say, Amen. They agree with this, this pronouncement. Cursed is a man who leads the blind astray on the road. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the man who withholds justice from the alien, the fatherless, or the widow. Then all the people shall say, Amen. And it continues. In chapter 28, Israel is told of the blessings for obedience and the curses for disobedience. By the way, I've wondered in the passage in Deuteronomy, why didn't they say, Blessed is the person who does this, and all the people will say Amen. Blessed is the man who does this, and all the people would say Amen. Um, it's interesting. I think that blessing is seen in terms of wisdom, that a wise person knows what to do. Curses are seen in prophetic terms, so that when the prophets preach, they preach against those things that bring, in fact, God's curses upon people. The wise person knows the benefits of obedience. A foolish person oftentimes does not know the consequences of disobedience. That's why they do it. And so they need to be told. In the New Testament, we also hear of blessings and curses. Except we hear them using different words. Beatitudes and woes. And now we come to our text in Luke chapter 6. Here we have... I don't think it's the same event. Uh, I don't think it's a Sermon on the Mount. I don't think that what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he only said once during his ministry. 
But it is interesting how Luke constructs it. There are four Beatitudes, beginning in verse number 20. If you look, Luke 6, 20. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, and they, when they exclude you and insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their fathers treated the prophets. And you'll notice immediately, as Luke writes it, these four Beatitudes, these four blessed are followed by four woes, beginning in verse number 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. Zib read to us a couple Sundays ago the end of 1 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians 16. And in the last part, which Paul writes with his own hand, the, the rest of the letter is dictated, um, he says, um, If anyone curses the Lord, let him be anathema. And then he says, Come, Lord Jesus. Side by side, we find a pronouncement of a curse, as well as, in a sense, a blessing. So, what does this all mean? I've given you all this information. What, what can this possibly mean? Well, I would suggest to you that whether it be blessing or it be cursing, either one are based, in fact, is based on relationship. We certainly saw that that's the case when it comes to being blessed. By extension, I think blessing is, in fact, pronounced on those or given to those who have a relationship with God. And the nature of the relationship and the context determines the parameters of a particular blessing. Consider what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God blessed and continues to bless those whom he has created, those who bear his image. In theological terms, people would call this common grace, that God, in fact, shows grace on all of his creation, that whether a person is a child of God, is a Christian or not, they are still made in God's image, and therefore God bestows grace on them, and it rains on them, and the sun shines on them. It just doesn't happen to those who are God's people. God blesses those who bear his image. It's either that or the universe simply floats along on its own power without him. When it comes to cursings or woes, we find something more specific. And this is something I've trying to work through. We would expect that curses or woes would be pronounced against the wicked, against the Gentiles, if you wish, against those who are not God's people. And yet, what we find time and time again in Scripture is that they are in fact directed at or to those who are supposed to be or appear to be the people of God. That is in part because they know what is right. They have been instructed in what is right, 
And what they have done is they deliberately choose something that is wrong and therefore there are consequences. Read through the next time you go through scripture in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I would expect there to be curses pronounced on the Philistines, on the Canaanites and all these people. And in fact, what we find is curses are spoken at least that if you do what is right, God will bless you. And if you do what is wrong, God will curse you. It is spoken to those who claim to be the people of God. They have a special relationship with God. I find that really interesting. I, I, and something I'm still trying to get my mind around because it seems to me that if God was going to curse someone, it would be uh, the atheist, if you wish, the pagan or whatever. And this is not what we find. It's those with whom he has a special relationship. They know what is right. And if they deliberately choose to do what is wrong, then because of that relationship, God will curse them. Second thing... I think that this all means is that there's no neutrality. As I've said, it's, it's either or. We would prefer a third choice. We would relish a third choice. We would like, if possible, to be able to put it in neutral and coast for a while. The idea that we're either in drive or reverse. Uh, we just want a break, if you wish. And we want to be able to not be thinking about certain things. Um, it's interesting that we think that way because we never think about taking a break from breathing. Um, you know, that seems pretty standard. That's something we want to keep doing. And yet when it comes to our relationship with God, we would prefer oftentimes uh, a neutral stance. And that's simply not possible. If we do not choose life, then we choose death. And we're simply, we're sort of, we're sort of uh, deciding what kind of death we want. It's either life or death, blessing or cursing. Either God blesses us or he curses us. Well, this seems rather harsh. But I would say to you that our choices matter. Our choices have significance. See, I think if we take the neutral zone type of thinking, then we're saying basically it doesn't matter what I do. And if we say it doesn't matter what I do, then our choices are not significant. We can just do whatever we want and there are no consequences. It's, it's as though they never happened. And that's simply not the case. There may be times in our lives when we may wonder why certain things have happened to us or have happened to others. But generally we have a sense that if we've done something wrong and something bad happens to us, I think we have a sense of that. Um, but we need to keep in mind there is no neutrality. There is no neutrality. Having said all that, God is not passive. I found myself this week in thinking this through, trying to protect God from getting a harsh reputation, that somehow you might leave today thinking, God's not very nice. Um, what is this business of curses and cursing? And so I found myself, as I was preparing, sort of leaning towards saying, listen, our choices have significance, and they do. But I think I was leaning a bit too much because I didn't want somehow God to get blamed for 
curses. We want to give him the credit for the blessings, of course, but not, not the business of, of cursing. The reality is we must humbly acknowledge that it is only by God's grace that we have life and that we are blessed. It's only by God's grace. So when we say God curses us, that is in fact the path apart from God's grace that we have chosen. If we choose death, the path of death, then that's what's going to happen. If we have life and we are blessed, we cannot say, this. I, I'm blessed because I'm a good person. I've done the things God has told me to do. It is only by God's grace. In this Christmas season, this is the third Sunday of Advent, we recall what the, the angel said to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. It is only by God's grace. If you would, please turn to Ephesians chapter 3, and we will read this as we close today. Ephesians chapter 3. We'll begin reading verse number 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he might strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. It is, in fact, because of the love of God that we are blessed. It isn't because we're good people that we've done something good. By God's grace and because of his love and his great faithfulness, we are in life. And when we pray to God that he would bless us, let us allow him, who loves us in ways that go beyond knowledge, as Paul puts it, to know what it is that we need. Because, in fact, we may be praying for this and God will give us something else. And if we are so fixated on this thing, what God has given us may, in fact, go right by us. God loves us. He knows what is best for us. And when it comes to the matter of blessing, and I would say, yes, even cursing, what underpins everything is the love of God, which goes beyond our knowledge. It's beyond understanding. And we should be grateful for his great grace in our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we confess that we are troubled to read of you cursing. Because when we think of cursing, we think of people with foul mouths who can't control their tongues, who 
speak rather badly of other people. And we can't help but wonder why, if you're not going to do good things, why you just can't leave people alone. The reality is, you love us and you have a relationship with us. And in your grace and your love, you just can't let us do whatever we want. You can't just let us go. As a parent with a child, you're there to watch over us and guide us and teach us. We thank you for your love, which goes beyond understanding, beyond knowledge. May we on this day be humbled by it, embrace it, by your Spirit come to understand a bit more that you truly love us. I thank you that you've brought us together today and that we will continue to spend time together this afternoon. May your spirit be in our midst. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.